Good morning. How y'all doing? Good, 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 good. So lovely to see all the bright, shining faces here this morning. It's always a privilege to be with you guys to share from God's Word. Um, I thank you for that privilege. Uh, anybody celebrate at all this week? Anybody celebrate anything? No? Thursday? National Coffee Day? No? Every day is National Coffee Day in our house, I'll tell you that. Do we have coffee drinkers? Anybody drink coffee? Most people, right? Some? Not? Okay. Um, coffee is the most consumed beverage in, uh, on the planet. Did you guys know that? I don't know. I'm just sort of making that up. You'd have to fact check me on that if you really wanted to know for sure. But one thing that you don't have to fact check me on is the fact that I have grandkids. You've probably seen them racing around on Sunday morning from time to time. I mean, that's what kids do, right? But for me, it's really interesting to watch my grandkids grow because it really reminds me of when my kids were small. At times, I think I've forgotten about some of the stuff that my wife and I went through when our kids were growing up. I think I've like purposefully forgotten it, right? Because if, if you've been around kids at all, you know that kids at times can be challenging. That may be an understatement, right? Yeah. Sometimes kids have these attitudes that can really try your patience. And you might find yourself saying something like, that kid needs an attitude adjustment, right? Yeah, sometimes kids need an attitude adjustment. Now, how you go about adjusting that attitude is the subject of much debate. I have my own opinions, but I'll kind of keep those to myself. Although Scripture does say, Spare the rod, spoil the child. I think I just told you how I feel about it. But anyway, here's my question. Are children the only ones? No, definitely not. Adults from time to time also need an attitude adjustment. And how you go about doing that is also the subject of much debate. But I've done some research, and I've discovered that there are some signs that point to a need for an attitude adjustment. What I want us to do this morning is I want us to do a bit of a self-assessment. Let's get introspective and let's kind of look at ourselves and do it objectively and answer these questions, maybe not out loud, right? Because that could potentially be embarrassing. But I want you to be honest with yourself. So the signs that you may need an attitude adjustment. First sign is complaining. You find yourself complaining about your life, about your circumstances. Now, sometimes it is good to vent to a friend about your frustrations, but constant complaining is a sign that an attitude adjustment may be in order. Second sign is making excuses. You know, constantly saying that things that happen to you and your circumstances, it's just not your fault. You know, I'm late, but I got caught by a train, which may or may not be true. But constant excuse-making is a sign that you could need 
an attitude adjustment. Number three, which is kind of related to number two in the way I presented it, is not acting with integrity. Integrity. Are you always being completely honest? Or maybe at times you're kind of just embellishing a little bit, maybe to make yourself look a little bit better. Number four, are you giving off negative energy? And sometimes you may be doing that, and, and you may not even know it. So you need to step back, and you need to objectively look at yourself. How do you interact with the world around you? Are you reacting to what's happening to you positively? Or are you always complaining, angry, depressed? And then number five, and this is a big one, are you just too darn focused on yourself? Now, I understand that it's hard not to get caught up in your own little world and, and all the stuff that's happening to you, but are you doing it to the exclusion of others and their needs? So do you need an attitude adjustment? Maybe a little one? Do we need reminders of these kinds of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I don't want you to be doing here this morning is saying, boy, I hope so-and-so is listening. You know, don't look at your spouse or whatever. This, you, you, you look at yourself, right? You assess yourself. You, you look at the plank in your eye before you go picking at somebody else's. So do you need an attitude adjustment? We're in the middle of our series of messages that I'm calling A Joy-Filled Life. And our focus throughout this series is on this wonderful letter that Paul has written to the church at Philippi. We know it as the book of Philippians. And I hope, I hope that we're beginning to see the encouragement and the great joy that Paul's writing about in this letter. You know, he faced some incredibly challenging and really dangerous circumstances, yet Paul chose joy. He chose joy. And again, that's one of the things that we know to be true about joy. Joy is a choice. It's not like happiness, because happiness is really dependent on our circumstances. And our circumstances, they're up and down, up and down. You know, life is not always a bowl of cherries. Sometimes there are some pits, and sometimes there are a lot of them. But Paul, and like Paul, regardless of what's going on around, we can live a joy-filled life. That's what Paul wanted for the Philippians. He wanted that more than anything. He wanted them to look through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and see great joy. But you know, the Philippians, they were human, just like we are. And some of them were in need of a slight attitude adjustment. They needed to be reminded, just like we need to be reminded, of how we are to live in light of the truth about Jesus. And as we study chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul's going to teach us that an attitude adjustment can bring joy. It can bring joy, joy that is only found in humble service to God. 
So our scripture for today is found in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at the whole chapter, verses 1 through 30. And that's a lot. Normally I would have broken this up, but there is a certain flow to this chapter that I think you guys will get as we move along. But this is a lot, right? But I know you guys are up to the task. Besides, the bears don't kick off until noon, right? Yeah, you guys are looking at me like, what? Noon? I don't know. Do they? I have no idea. Yes. Yes. So we have all the way until 12 o'clock. Settle in. We're going to knock this out. Yeah, everybody's going, oh boy, here we go. So as we said just a moment ago, Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Philippians in their faith. But he does go deeper than that because he wanted the Philippians to progress and to grow in their joy in the faith. And by all accounts, the church at Philippi was actually rather healthy, unlike the, their counterparts in Corinth and Galatia. They had real issues that Paul wrote to them about. But the church at Philippi was actually pretty healthy. But, but they did have some internal conflicts. Paul calls, calls out Yodia and Syntyche in chapter 4. We'll get to chapter 4 in a few weeks. But there were some conflicts. So what Paul's telling them here is that they can't just relax. They can't just rest on their laurels. And he's really telling us the same thing. Because we can't grow and we can't progress and have joy in our faith. You know, it's, it doesn't come through some magical spell. That kind of progress and joy comes through the patience, the practice of unity and humble service. Humble service to God and to others. So let's get into it. Paul begins at verse 1 and says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So when Paul says, therefore, here, what he's doing is he's drawing our attention back to the end of chapter 1. And if you recall, at the end of chapter 1, in verses 27 through 30, Paul was telling us how to live, how to live in light of the gospel. If you recall, he told us that we are to live in unity and share the gospel with boldness, without fear, trusting that God is in control of the situation. And this is how we are to stand strong against external conflict, against oppression, against persecution. Now he's telling the Philippians and us, of course, how to act against internal conflict within the body of Christ. And in verse 1, we see him ask a series of if questions. If, 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 if. And really, these are rhetorical questions because Paul is not doubting that the Philippians have already experienced all of this. He's not doubting that. It's more like Paul is saying, since, since you are united with Christ and since you have experienced this encouragement and comfort and love and common sharing and tenderness and compassion... Since you've experienced that, then certain characteristics should be true of how you live your life. So if the Philippians are true believers, and they were, 
Then Paul says you will work together. You will love one another. And you will serve one another in humility. We're believers. Is that our attitude here? I pray that it is. I pray for that kind of unity. I really do. See, the only way that you have that kind of unity is with an attitude of humility. And we're going to kind of dive into humility in just a few moments here. But Paul says that it would bring him great joy. Great joy to see these characteristics in the Philippians, right? Being like-minded, having the same love, being united in the spirit of Jesus. That's what brought Paul joy. Not his circumstances. But unity. Unity in the spirit. And again, friends, that kind of unity is our goal here at Hope Church. If you want to write that down, unity in Christ is our goal. But we need to humble ourselves. And really, Paul goes on in the following verses to tell us how. Okay? Unity is our goal. Here's how you do it. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So in these two verses here, we find really three steps or three keys to the kind of unity that Paul desires for the Philippians and for us. The first key is not to do anything out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Other translations use the word rivalry. Do nothing out of rivalry. Which kind of reminds us that Paul's opponents from chapter 1 really operated in that kind of a spirit, the spirit of rivalry. That is not to take place within the church. We don't look to enhance our image and our following. We don't promote ourselves. Our ambition should not be selfish, but our ambition should be to glorify God and serve Him with everything that we have. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Second key to unity is do nothing out of vain conceit. The Greek is more literally translated empty glory. And this kind of attitude really amounts to thinking too highly of oneself, having an excessive self-interest and self-preoccupation, feeling important, I'm somebody. But that attitude works against the unity that Paul desires for the Philippians, and really for all Christians. No vain conceit. The third key is what we talked about just a moment ago, and that's very simply humility. Humility. Other translations call it lowliness of mind. Now, can you think of anything that is more countercultural than that? Right? I mean, we live in a world of self-gratification, self-promotion. It's all about me, look at me, Facebook, Instagram, me, me, me. Culture tells us that we need to look out for our best interests and our desires. What does Scripture say? What does Paul say? 
says, no, no, value others above yourself. Really? Now, I want you to understand that this is not self-abasement. This is not self-loathing. This is not self-hate. No, it is far from that, far from that. C.S. Lewis actually helps us to understand this because he says that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I like that. I like that a lot. I like this too because Proverbs has some wisdom about humility. In Proverbs 22, it says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. We'll let that marinate for a minute because we know what the fear of the Lord is. Spent the entire summer learning what the fear of the Lord is. So really what, what Proverbs is saying is humility is knowing who we are in relation to the God of creation. That'll humble you. That'll humble you. Charles Spurgeon kind of wraps it all up. He says the apostle knew that to create concord, which is just an old word for unity, to create unity, you need first to beget lowliness of mind. Men do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. Humility. And then Paul kind of restates it all in verse 4. He says, don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. So Paul gives us the why, he gives us the how. Now what he does is he points to Christ. Christ is our ultimate example of humility. Christ is our model of humble service. You can write that down too. Christ is our model of humble service. Verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Some translations use the word attitude. Have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And what follows verse 5 here is really one of the most magnificent statements of theology in all of Scripture. Such a beautiful passage. And many believe this to be an early hymn of the church that was written by Paul. And in these verses that follow, he describes in detail the mind of Christ. He describes the attitude of Christ. Are you wondering what Christ thinks? It's here. What is his attitude? Paul tells us. But, but, in this verse, verse 5, before he goes on, he tells us what we have to do with this information. Other translations kind of help us better understand this because some say, let this mind or attitude be in you. So it's really easy to read this description we're going to read and be completely awed by it because Christ is awesome. But we must also see it as something that we enter into, something that we must imitate. We must choose to walk in this attitude. So many choices that we're supposed to make, right? Choose joy, choose wisdom, Choose this attitude, choose service, choose Christ. And here is where Paul goes on to describe this. Starting at verse 6, he says, Christ, 
who in being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Clearly, Paul is is speaking to the preeminence and the preexistence of Christ. The original Greek is morphe theao, the form of God, the true and exact nature of God. Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is God himself. He was there at the beginning. He before the foundation of the world. He is eternal. He is a part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is God. But Jesus didn't see his his deity or, or his equality with God as something to be grasped. The English Standard Version uses the word grasped or clung to. No. He humbled himself by becoming like us, made in human likeness. Some translations say he emptied himself. He willingly set aside the advantage in the position of deity. Jesus didn't cease to be God when he was incarnated. He was still God. He simply added humanity as an aspect of his nature. He came as a servant. He tells us in Mark chapter 10, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. Paul tells us in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, the God of creation humbled himself by being born as a man. He humbled himself in life, the life of a servant. And he humbled himself by being obedient to the Father. He suffered the most excruciating and humiliating death possible, death on a cross. And friends, he did that for the sake of the gospel. He did that for the sake of our salvation. He did that for us. Amen? Amen. So is there joy in humble service? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12 of Hebrews. He says, we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. See, Jesus didn't necessarily see joy in the cross. He didn't see joy in the suffering. The joy was in the result. The joy was in his creation, his children, redeemed and reconciled to God. His joy was in our salvation. Jesus was able to look past his circumstances, and he saw joy. That's the kind of attitude that we need to be adjusted to. Jesus is our model of humble service. Verse 9, Paul goes on to say, 
Therefore, therefore, in other words, because of Jesus' humble obedience, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And friends, that day is coming. That day is coming when the totality of all creation will witness the superiority of Jesus Christ. And Paul paints this picture for us. He paints it to equip us, to equip us to endure the difficulties and the challenges that we find in life. And he shows us this to help us to practice real Christian unity, regardless of what's going on around us. Jesus is our model of obedient, humble service. And he shows us the joy in that service. And that's exactly what Paul calls us to in the following verses. He says, therefore, because of what I just said, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. Now that sounds almost like works-based salvation, doesn't it? A lot of people point to us and go, eh, works, I got to do stuff, I got to do stuff. But that is not at all what Paul is saying here. When you look at the totality of Scripture, friends, it is clear that our salvation is only possible and sure through what Jesus has done for us. Paul uses the word here, salvation, in the sense that we come to experience all the blessings of that salvation. We do what we do because of that salvation. Clear? That's grace. That's grace. It's God working in and through us to transform our will and our actions to His glory. So Paul says in verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of a God without fault, a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Paul says, work out your salvation by living this way, by living without complaint, by living in unity. Live blameless and pure lives, holding firmly and holding forth the word of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do this, we do this, friends, because this is our testimony. This is our testimony. As Christians, we're all stars. The only question is how brightly 
do we shine? Because the world is watching. The world is watching, and when the world looks at us, what do they see? They see a bunch of angry, depressed people with conflicts and discord. Or do they see people living in unity, loving and serving one another? That's our testimony. And then Paul goes on to offer up three examples of that kind of humble service. He's pointed us to Jesus as our model. Now he gives us examples. Because he talks about himself, he talks about Timothy, he talks about Epaphroditus. Paul says of himself in verse 17 and 18, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So when Paul talks about this kind of sacrifice here, this is something that would have been familiar to the people of that time. See, Paul has been and he is pouring out his life in humble service to God, to his glory. And even though Paul faces incredible circumstances, his potential death, his martyrdom, he wants the Philippians to rejoice. Not in Paul's death, no, but that his death might bring glory to God. As we said last week, Paul's goal was to glorify God, whether it was in life or in death. See, the joy that he experienced and wanted the Philippians to join him in it wasn't based on his circumstances. No. It was based on a life lived in humble service to God. Humble service. And then Paul holds up Timothy as an example. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. So here, Paul is contrasting Timothy with those he described earlier in verse 4, those who look out for their own interests but not Timothy. No. Timothy's concern was for the people of Philippi. Timothy's concern was for the gospel. His, his concern was for the things of Jesus Christ. He is an example of a humble servant. And then last, Epaphroditus. Paul says, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. He came from Philippi. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Uh, notice that Epaphroditus was not distressed because he was ill. 
No, Epaphroditus was distressed because they heard he was ill. What greater concern could you have than the concern for others? That's where Epaphroditus' attitude was. Paul goes on and says, Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great, what? Joy. And honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Epaphroditus was a humble servant. So are you in need of an attitude adjustment? Maybe a little one. Today Paul has taught us why. He's taught us how. He's detailed our ultimate model, Jesus Christ. And then he's given us three examples of people who lived lives of humble service. And I think Paul did that on purpose because there's a lot of people that say, Jesus is my model? I could never do what Jesus did. I'm not Jesus. There is certainly a large amount of truth in that. We're not Jesus. But, but, what about Paul? And what about Timothy? And what about Epaphroditus? They were no different than we are. Yet they chose to have the same attitude, the same mindset as Christ. And we can do that too. We can choose that kind of attitude. We can choose service. We can choose Christ. And friends, it is my sincere prayer, and Katie wasn't just blowing smoke at you guys before, it is my prayer for Hope Church that we would be humble servants, united in Christ, united in Christ, looking not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others, not grumbling or arguing, but living as one. Friends, that is our testimony. May people see in us the joy of humble service. That is what I pray for every day. Join me in that prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we can do nothing but praise you for who you are and for what you've done. And it's because of that, Lord, that we want to, like Paul, pour out our lives as an offering, as a sacrifice. Humble service. Humble service. You are our model of humble service. And Lord, we want to be your servants. And we want to live in unity. We want to shine like stars in this dark, dark world. Father, pour your spirit out because it is the only way that we can achieve this. We ask for your spirit, Lord. We ask for this unity. We ask to be humble servants and we ask to be used by you.
And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.